Welcome to the Big Fellas Podcast, where we chop it up about all things past, present, and future about the game of basketball. Where facts, stats, and context reign supreme. That is blasphemous. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. Always keep it real. Get ready to learn from players, coaches, and fans from all levels of the game and see the court in a brand new way. And now, fresh off the sidelines, here's your host, John Hartofillis. What it do, fellas, and welcome to the Big Fellas Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, J.H., coming to you from New York City, the mecca of basketball. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Nate Loinzer, former Chicago Bulls assistant coach, as well as former head coach of the Windy City Bulls. In this episode, we spoke about Coach Nate's time coaching his favorite NBA team, taking the reins of a G League team in Windy City, and being seen by being unseen. We've got a go in store for you today, fellas. Episode number 35, Nate Loinzer, professional basketball coach. Hi, Coach Nate. What's going on? How you doing, John? Thanks for having me today. Thank you for coming on. I, I'm really looking forward to it. And you've had some really cool stops along your time in the association. I think we're going to really have, have a good deep dive into it and, and really take some valuable lessons from it. Just to start, can you kind of give us, our listeners, a little walkthrough of just how you find, kind of first got into, whether it's the game of basketball or sports in general, maybe as a kid or as you grew older, what did that look like for you? Yeah, I was, uh, I was born and raised in Cedar Falls, Iowa, um, which is a college town. That's where the University of Northern Iowa is at. And, uh, but my parents um, were avid Iowa State um, fans. They went to school there, they met there. And uh, for as long as I can remember, they've had season tickets for both basketball and football for Iowa State. So I kind of grew up at a young age going with them to games. Um, I was just the typical, typical kid playing baseball, basketball, football, and even golf. Um, I always used to say my favorite sport was whatever season it is. So um, I just, uh, at an early age, just just really liked sports. Um, played all those sports in high school. Um, was fortunate enough to play baseball at Iowa State as a walk-on. But um, when I first went to Iowa State, I kind of knew I was going to get into coaching. And I, was, uh, I started as a, a manager for Tim Floyd uh, at Iowa State. Um, my freshman year and I came in I was in the same class as a guy named Marcus Pfizer who was later drafted in the NBA but um, the way Iowa works baseball's in the summertime it's not in the spring and I committed to be a manager in the spring of my senior year and uh, I was an okay baseball player my junior year I hit 289 but my senior year I hit 596 and um, so that summer kind of left a, a taste in my mouth like I'd like to try and play some college baseball so I started with the manager stuff because I had already been uh, committed to it and I knew somewhere down the line I wanted to get into coaching. Uh, but after a few months, I decided to stop uh, working for Coach Floyd and wanted to just concentrate on baseball for a little while. I, uh, I coached baseball actually for six years uh, right away that first year out of high school. So I have a background a little bit in coaching baseball. But from that, um, the athletic director at my high school um, was uh, looking for a basketball coach and he hired me. So at the age of 21, I was the head varsity baseball and head varsity basketball coach at my alma mater, which was kind of a cool thing. Uh, from there, uh, they had talked about closing our school down um, for budget reasons. So I, I went back to Ames where I went to school at Iowa State and uh, got an elementary PE job and a coaching job. And I coached there um, for two years. And um, 
one of the kids that I coached while I was at Ames High, uh, his dad was the associate head coach for Coach Larry Eustachie, who was coaching at Iowa State at the time. And um, he came to a lot of my practices to watch his son and invited me to a lot of Iowa State practices. Um, as fate would have it, uh, Harrison Barnes was actually going to school uh, at Ames. He's in that same school district, but he was only a sixth grader at the time. Um, Karen Hoiberg was actually teaching at the same school that I was teaching at. And Karen Hoiberg is the mother of Fred Hoiberg, who I later ended up coaching with. So weird just how some connections throughout my path started to, to link up. So after two years at Ames, um, Coach Eustachio was let go at Iowa State. He uh, sat out for a year and then he went, uh, he was a head coach at University of Southern Mississippi. And I had developed a very good relationship, like I said, with his associate head coach, Coach Steve Barnes, and um, asked for an opportunity and essentially went down sight unseen to uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi and spent six years as an assistant with Coach Eustachio in Conference USA and had a, an unbelievable experience there. Coach Eustachio is a known as a very um, known as a teacher, uh, demanding coach, but holds his players accountable, gets the most out of them, and was a very heavy defensive and rebounding coach that was good for a young coach to learn under. Uh, from there, after my six years there, I just kind of wanted to um, reboot my career a little bit, and I moved back to Iowa, and I coached high school uh, again back in Iowa in a, in a small town in northwest Iowa called Spirit Lake. I met my wife up there, just kind of uh, restarted some things. I actually coached a little football while I was up there and met some unbelievable people. But uh, after three years up there, I missed the, the college game. And that's where I got linked up with Fred Hoiberg when he was at uh, his last two years at Iowa State. Um, spent two years with him there. Unique situation. I went you know, back to school as a 34-year-old uh, GA for Fred at the time. I had six years of Division I coaching experience but uh, I kind of knew that just getting my foot back in the door, I would need to maybe take a, a job that was a little more of an entry-level job to get to, to the position I'd want to get to eventually. And Iowa State was, was hot, and they were rising at the time. And, and Fred Hoiberg at the time obviously was known as one of the better offensive minds. And when he uh, got the Bulls job, he, he asked me to come along as a video coordinator. Never thought I'd coach at Iowa State. Like I said, I grew up watching Iowa State. So I had already coached at my alma mater for high school. I got to coach at my alma mater for college. And then, um, but the team, the Chicago Bulls were a team that um, my dad is from Illinois. And when you live in Iowa, it's kind of a melting pot. You can pick whatever team you want. Well, my dad used to watch Dave Corzine, Orlando Woolridge, uh, which was cool. So I started watching them when, when, uh, when I was like five or six years old. And then they got this number 23 guy, Michael Jordan. And obviously everybody jumped on the bandwagon from there, especially in the Midwest. So I um, was a pretty avid Bulls fan growing up. And uh, obviously getting the opportunity to work with Fred was huge. Uh, I didn't want to leave Iowa State per se, but I had always wondered about coaching in the NBA. And, and with it being the Chicago Bulls at the time, I, I just felt like it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Uh, I was video coordinator for one year, um, and uh, and I've been with the Bulls for five years. It's it's been an amazing. Just I look back at at the five years I had with the Bulls, um, the amount of players that I that I got to coach that first year was Kirk Heinrich, Derek Rose, Jimmy Butler, Paul Gasol, Joakim Noah, Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott, uh, Mike Dunleavy. 
uh, a lot of, you know, big names in the, in the NBA world. And, um, but after that first year, then, then we, we had the uh, Windy City Bulls, which was um, a D league team at the time now as a G league team. And they were uh, starting their inaugural season as far as being a, 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 a G league team or D league team. And I really had no thoughts of doing it. I uh, went all through the summer. I helped uh, Fred in the front office and in our courtship of Ron Rondo and Dwayne Wade and, um, and the people we brought in that off season, we made the trade for Derek Rose to, to New York. So we had Robin Lopez coming in um, and just had kind of turned over our roster even that first year. But uh, late in August, um, the uh, one of our assistant GMs who was a GM for the Windy City Bulls uh, asked me if I'd be interested in being the head coach uh, for their team. And uh, he said, you have 48 hours to think about it. And I uh, spoke to Fred, obviously spoke to a lot of the people in the front office and uh, John Paxson was a president at the time, just kind of made it clear. He just said, cause I asked him, I said, I, um, cause the G league was rather new. It was new in our, in our um, organization, especially. And uh, I just said to John, I said, he's like, well, you're going to take the job. I said, well, I don't really want to leave, leave you guys. He goes, you're not going to leave. You're just going to be a different capacity. And he said, do you want to coach? And I said, absolutely. He said, you should probably take this job. And he was, he was spot on with it because, you know, as a video coordinator, you're kind of doing all the little things and you're assisting a lot of people, but you're, uh, I call it, those are kind of the bottom of the funnel jobs, which are jobs that people like me have to uh, take in order to get their foot in the door. But um, when you're in those bottom of the funnel jobs, sometimes it's hard to move up. So because they don't want to replace that person because they catch all the little things that, that people don't necessarily want to do. And, um, it was a great opportunity for me. I ended up taking the job and it was, it was, I had a, a fantastic season, uh, with those guys. It was unbelievable. Uh, the G league is fascinating. We had 27 different players that year. And it, it, I mean, the way it, the roster changes throughout the year. It was just a great deal. And from there, uh, I think I made enough of an impression with the front office and even our coaching staff. So I got moved back up to the Bulls and was a fourth assistant with the Bulls. And um, then the next year, started the year as a fourth assistant. Coach Hoiberg was let go, and then Jim Boylan took over, and he moved me up to on the bench. So for the last year and a half, I have been a on-the-bench assistant in the NBA. And uh, with the new coaching change with Billy Donovan coming in, uh, he's bringing a lot of his staff from Oklahoma City, which can happen in this this profession. So I'm currently a free agent, uh, but that's kind of the way my my 20 year coaching path has has taken me um, so far, and I'm just looking forward to the next opportunity. Of course, and, and there's so much to unpack there because your coaching journey is so interesting, and and, and you really. Um, it's great how you're able to kind of take us all, all over it. What do you kind of think, um, especially like that, like you kind of touched on a little bit more at the end, that transition going into the G League. How much different is is that? And, and you mentioned how you were, I guess, at 27 players on, on the roster one year. That differences between that and obviously where you've coached before in terms of the college level and the professional level. What, what does that difference kind of look like to you? Well, as an, as an assistant, and I believe this, you know, your job is to to assist the head coach in any way, shape, or form. So, 
Um, you need to understand what your system is. You need to understand uh, what your head coach is getting across as far as vision goes. And as assistant, you're there to, to assist. I mean, that's why it's called an assistant. And um, you might have your own ideas, but your ideas can't be so off the, off the chart that they really are, are not useful for your head coach. So with that in mind, I also had uh, six years of, of high school head coaching experience. So I knew at some point in time, I had a little bit of head coaching experience in me. And, and I think that helped me even to be an assistant coach, because when you're making those decisions, you know what's useful and what's not useful. So even though as an assistant in, in part of my journey, I always prepared like I was going to be a head coach someday. And I always gave um, suggestions or decisions um, to like I was a head coach, not just opinions, not a fan, not just stuff that was going to get my head coach derailed. So that way, when I was named the head coach for the Windy City Bulls, it was a quick transition because I had already been kind of practicing it throughout my whole career. Um, little things like practice plans, pre you know, preparing practice plans, your monthly schedules, you know, meeting with players, how you, who you, your responsibilities for your assistants, things like that. Um, those are all parts of being a head coach that you might not necessarily have. Um, as an assistant, and even though it was a short amount of experience I had, I felt like <clears throat> I was quickly able to transition to that mode so that we could function as a staff as quickly as possible. Um, I just, I, I, I kind of had three different things because everything was always changing and you did not necessarily have control. I mean, your roster in a 50 game season, I think I counted it, there was like three times throughout the year where we actually had the same um, roster um, three games in a row uh, throughout the season. So, and, and that's not what you're necessarily about. I mean, it, you, you want to win and we're all competitive. We all want to do that. But I had seven different Chicago Bulls players play um, on assignment for me. I had two different Portland Trailblazer players play for me during that year. I had five former NBA guys. And then I had a bunch of uh, younger guys too, that, that were just trying to make their way as a free agent. So you're, managing all these different situations as far as where they're at in their career path. And one of your star, your best players, who's one of your core G league players, uh, who you're really dependent on the next night, if, if the bulls send down or your NBA team sends someone down on assignment, that person could be coming off the bench or maybe not even in the rotation. So um, I always believed in this. I wanted to control what I control. I wanted to be organized and I wanted to be positive. And I always was trying to keep my players in that same mind frame as well. And I said it from the beginning with, the, with our players. I said, we're owned and operated by the Chicago Bulls, which means none of us are here without them. So when someone is sent down to play for us, we need to all embrace that. We need to understand what we're here about. We're here to lift them up and, and, and get them better. Not necessarily taking a backseat on our own dreams, but maybe having to figure out that, hey, if I'm going to make it to the NBA, it's not going to be in a star position. I'm fighting for that 15th spot on the, on the bench. So how do you react to it? We're going to have NBA scouts at every single game that we're in. That's the great thing about the G League. Uh, so the exposure is second to none as far as that league goes. How can you handle being a role player? How can you handle not knowing where your minutes are coming from? How can you handle um, the ups and downs that can happen through a season? And that's, those are the big things that I try to get across 
uh, quickly to our team. And, um, and that's, that's how I tried to, to keep our guys going fresh and mentally throughout the year. Of course, that's, that's the right way to approach that and get guys ready because especially mentally, I can imagine like that toll of the, of the G League season and, and, the, and the guys around you, your teammates changing game in and game out must definitely take a toll. But if, with, with a coach like you to really um, focus on that mental aspect is, is definitely super important. Uh, one, one thing you touched on that I thought was super interesting was how you had some Portland Trailblazers guys on your roster and, and, and how that works. So most people aren't really that familiar with how that works in the G League. I, I saw how a Bobo who made his debut for the, he was after, drafted by the Nuggets and made his debut for the Nuggets in the bubble, um, actually played on the Windy City Bulls this year for a few games. How does that work in terms of the G League, in terms of a team drafting someone, sending into the G League for another team, and then eventually being able to take that guy back onto their squad? Um, how, how does that work? So you kind of have three parts of your roster when it comes to the G League. Um, you have the guys that you draft, I mean, in the Windy City Bulls, I'll just speak on the Windy City Bulls. The Windy City Bulls are going to draft. They're going to get returning rights players. They're going to have roughly 10 guys that are kind of their core roster guys. And they can get there from being um, guys that are in their NBA camp, and they are called Exhibit 10 players, where they might go to training camp with an NBA team. They don't make the team, but the, but the Windy City Bulls, or that team that cut them has their rights, but those ten those ten players are technically free agents. They are even though they play for the Windy City Bulls, it's not like a true Major League Baseball system where they're a part of them. You know, the the they're a farm team for their parent club. Those guys can be called up by anyone at any particular time. So those are the, the your core G League players. Then what you have are your assignment players, which are like I said, if. I think last year 20 it's either 27 or 28 teams <coughs> of the nba have their own g league teams so windy city you know chicago bulls are going to send their guys to windy city detroit pistons are going to send theirs with grand rapid rapids drive well when i was in the g league the portland trailblazers did not have a g league team um the denver nuggets did not have a g league team um and I believe two, two other teams didn't have it. So what they have, they're called flex assignments. So what they can do is really they can send their guys, the, like the Portland Trailblazers can send their assignment players, their developmental players that are under contract with the Portland Trailblazers to any G League team that they would like to. And uh, they just happened to take a chance on us because we were an expansion team. We had a lot of... Um, guys that reached out that were close that either didn't work out or whatever, but the Portland trailblazers were the first to kind of give us a chance. And it started with Tim Quarterman. They liked what we did. Um, we had him for three games. He went back, back up to Portland and was with their team. And then they decided, Hey, we're going to leave. We're going to send Tim back. And we're also going to send Jake Lehman with you as well, but we're going to keep him there for two weeks. So they're going to play six games or something like that. So, and to answer your question, so Denver did not have a G League team. So um, what they did, they had a relationship with Windy City. And so they actually had P.J. Dozier, they had Bull Bull, and I think even Vanderbilt ended up playing. And it just kind of depends on relationships that go. And to be honest with you, some, <coughs> some franchises will even move their guys around. Maybe they want their guys to go to this G League team, and then they go to another one. I remember check Diallo who's playing in Phoenix he was in he was an assignment or uh he was um 
he was a guy that was being assigned to different places because at the time the New Orleans Pelicans did not have a G League team. They do now, but at that time they didn't. And they, they sent him to, I think, four different teams throughout the year. Sometimes it can be based off of schedule. Sometimes it could just be based off of fit. You know, if, if, um, if, if the team is sending down a center and you have a center, you don't necessarily want to have, you know, an overload of center. It's important when you send guys down as far as on assignments from a, from a, from an NBA team that those guys are being sent down. So they play, so they get game action and you don't want them to necessarily be uh, worried about minutes. So that's kind of, hopefully I explained that. Okay. You did a fantastic job because that, that really articulates how much of a thought process goes into the G League because most casual fans don't really think about how complex and how important the G League is. The way you just uh, you explained it, it really shows how important every single decision is in terms of how you send guys down. And, and once they're there, also how you nurture them and how important that is. So that, that's fantastic. So like, um, and here's, here's just an example off of that. Um, so Spencer Dinwiddie is an example. So I coached him in the G League. So Spencer was traded to the Bulls in the off season. Um, leading up to the year I was coaching the G League. He played on our summer league team. He played in training camp with Chicago Bulls. He was cut by the Chicago Bulls. Now, technically he was an affiliate that even though he was in our camp and even though he didn't really plan to it, we were, he was, he technically ended up being an affiliate for us because we ended up having his rights. Um, at first he didn't want to go and, and play for Windy City, but luckily after because at what you get right you get cut by the bulls you don't really want to go back there it's like well you saw me you didn't want to uh, you didn't you didn't want me then why would i go to that same team well after a few days he and his agent decided that you know what we he had a good relationship with myself and ultimately you are a free agent when you go to windy city he knew our system and there was a comfort level uh, with myself and him. So ultimately he decided to be in our training camp and then he played nine games with us and then plays really well. And, uh, I was very honest and upfront with him and what I expected of him. And he was great, uh, in his time with us. And I, and I think I, and he's, he said it, um, but he, I kind of probably empowered him to a level that was good for him in the particular time in his career. And he ends up signing a three-year deal with the Brooklyn Nets. And now you look at him and he's one of the better players in our game so it's 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 just weird I, I don't know like I said fascinating is the biggest word I use for the G League because you can have rookies that have never ever played professional basketball and I had a guy Will Bynum who had played eight years in the NBA and was 35 years old and was just in town in Chicago and wanted one last crack at trying to get get called up and it's it's just uh it was a great it's a great league for players that are kind of close and on the fringe and have NBA aspirations, but it was great as a, as a coach. Um, and I think even some front office people will say it too. It's just a great um, platform for, for people to work on their craft. Well, for sure. There's so many levels to the G league and, and that's really what does make it so interesting and complex. Now it was interesting that, that Spencer Dinwiddie story was fantastic because most people look at him and see him as a consistent NBA level producer at the point guard position and wouldn't really think that he had to go through all that, like you just mentioned in the G League. One thing that I saw actually on your LinkedIn profile I thought was really interesting was when you wrote how that you want to be seen by being unseen. So obviously in the video court in the video coordinator role, 
you're, um, you're not really front and center the way you would be in a coaching position or, or otherwise. How would, in that position, you, you made yourself seen by being unseen? Well, there's two parts to that. And I, and I, I don't, <laughs> when I drive, I think. So I, this is just something that I've, a few quotes that go around in your head when you're just, I don't know, it's a way I can kind of sort my thoughts and things like that. But I was, I was, I started as a, as a manager, like I said, at Iowa state, I had a couple managers at Southern Miss and I had 14 managers at Iowa state and um, student managers when I was working for Fred at Iowa state. And part of my job was to kind of um, mentor them and, you know, divvy up their tasks so they could, operate and uh and i gave them that be seen by being unseen because so many people that are trying to crack the business you know just they see that okay there's so and so there's nick nurse and he comes from you know a small town in iowa and now all of a sudden he's an nba world champion coach and they think that it just by having that thought that they automatically transplant themselves into that position but what they don't know is how Nick Nurse had to grind and work up or Nate Bjorgren who just got the Indiana Pacers job, how he had to have multiple jobs and just figure it out on his own just to just crack the business, much less uh, be productive enough to be in that situation. So what happens so many times is like young people starting in these entry-level jobs, they think that, um, even though they, their job is like super, super important to them, and it should be that really on the grand scheme of things, it's very minuscule as far as the, the tasks and the responsibilities they're going to get up front. And really, the only way you're going to get noticed is if you, if you make a mistake. And, uh, but if you do your job and you prove to be dependable and you prove that I don't have to worry about that this thing's get it done and I can handle those bigger rocks as opposed to these smaller rocks then what happens is is over time the develop you get trust and you get bigger tasks and you get bigger responsibilities and then to your to the point of the uh the uh the little saying that I have you you become seen by 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 being unseen by not getting in trouble by not making my mistakes by not going too fast which is what a lot of people do um especially in entry level or those lower level jobs you know you go too fast you think you have all these bright ideas i'm a big believer and you need to make sure you understand what your program needs first not what you think it needs understand where the program's at first do the job that's been asked for you and then over time your ideas will come into play so that's that's kind of the genesis of that so what's interesting is and i'll just use an example where where this thing may have worked out for me so I was I was uh, when I came to the Bulls as a video coordinator um, I was very very fortunate you know there's only 30 video coordinators in the world but on the on the grand scheme of things at that stage I was you know 36 37 <laughs> I had one child at the time I mean it is more of a younger person's probably job usually um, as far as video coordinator goes and uh and I had, in my mind, and, and in general, some very good coaching experiences. I had worked with a lot of different players. I, when I was at Iowa State, I was in charge of player development. I worked out, and these guys ended up being NBA players. Monte Morris, Matt Thomas, George Niang, Naz Long, Abdul Nader, Deontay Burton. All those guys were with us at Iowa State who later uh, have played in the NBA. And um, 
so anyways, I had good experience, but I was in my first year as, as uh, in the NBA and I was supposed to be video coordinator. Well, that's what I did as I did my job because that's what I was asked for. And I did exactly what Fred asked me to do. So I get this opportunity as the Windy City coach, like we talked about, and I don't know, let's say midway through the year, our GM comes to our game and sits with me after the game. And he goes, I've seen you in practice, all that. He goes, I I had no idea you could coach like this. And in my mind, I I just said, I was just doing what I was asked to. He goes, you sat and you were in the back, you were doing, you were in the video room. I hardly heard from you. I hardly saw you, anything like that. And at the end of the day, I mean, that's the ironic part of it. But over time, I feel like I was seen by being unseen, by doing my job, by staying away that afforded me the opportunity to move up when the timing and the situation was right. And, um, and then that ultimately helped uh, kind of a crossroads for my career to, to propel me a little bit. You know, uh, I don't, as far as jersey sales and things like that, even those names that I rattled off at Iowa State, those aren't like the well-known guys. Like Monte Morris had to play in the G League for a while. Uh, Abdul Nader had to play in the G League. George Niang was a second-round draft pick and has bounced around. Matt Thomas had to go overseas to Spain. And then <clears throat> now just this year, he gets picked up by Toronto. So that's that goes back to the G League in general. Like, I just I, – I'm a big believer, like, um, you know, your name, the amount of stars behind you as, a, as far as recruit um, – where you come from and that's the one thing I love about the NBA like okay your draft status might matter for a little bit but over time this this is a business up here and you're going to either be an asset or a liability and at the end of the day people don't really care what your path is are you producing and that can work in your favor or it can work against you and um, a lot of those guys at Iowa State maybe were under the radar they were good college players but maybe not thought of to be NBA guys but the one thing about those guys is they were always in the gym. They were always getting their work in. They were diligent about getting their workout and the culture there and what they fostered, you know, they obviously carried throughout their careers. And now they're guys that you want to have on your team. The guys that I've worked with at the bulls for the most part, at least initially are the under the radar guys. I had a guy, David Nawaba, who's in Houston right now, who was his last G league game was actually against us for the LA defenders. And then he signed a 10 day contract with the Lakers was with there twice was, was cut by Lakers over the off season. So they could sign uh, KCP and they wanted to sign him back. It was a roster deal. And we, we picked him up off the waiver wire just as a free look. And he ended up having a very good season for us. Ryan Archie Diakno is a guy that I worked with the last, whatever, two, two years, two, three years. And, Archie, obviously, great college career. Everybody knows that name from what he did at Villanova, but was an undrafted guy, was a two-way guy. Then all of a sudden, he plays one year on a, on a, on a minimum, non-guaranteed contract, and then he signs a three-year, $9 million deal. So, like, those are a lot of the guys that I've worked with. Um, it only was at the end of my tenure, uh, actually, over quarantine, where Zach Levine kind of actually asked to work with me um, because he had just seen how I, I operated with those guys, but really those guys, those guys with the work ethic were, were easy. It was simple. It was just needed to develop a plan with them and, and their careers started to take off. And that's just like my 
career. I think players are this way. And as I went through that whole spiel of how I bounced around, like, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in everything being linear. I believe in having, you know, that, that it can be a nonlinear path. And I just think basketball life isn't always like, isn't always going to go your way. You're going to have moments in your path when things go well. And there's going to be times when, you know, you might have to reboot or you might have to relook at things. You know, I'm at one of those situations where I was just let go and uh, I've had to really, really, um, pick myself back up and, and figure out what the next step is going to be. And I think in the long run, it's, it's going to be a blessing. And I think, uh, everything happens for a reason. I believe in that. Um, but what happens is if people have never really truly, um, dealt with any, uh, adversity in their lives and they've kind of had a bubble build around them the first time real adversity hits, uh, that's where you see guys in the NBA that are high draft picks that flame out after a year or two. If they if things get tough and they don't have those tools in there to overcome, um, it, it's it can be a very ruthless world. And I, I just believe in a lot of those things. And that's how I treat people. That's how I look at myself. And um, for whatever reason, that it's it's worked out for me. So what's kind of been the the highlight of of your coaching career, whether it's it maybe it could be a big winner or, or something to that effect where you, you really felt a sense of fulfillment around that. You name a person that's got a coach at their high school alma mater, their college alma mater, and their favorite NBA team. Like right there, I've been, that's like a, <laughs> I've been very blessed with those three right there. So with that being said, you know, things that stick out in my mind, I mean, a high school game that I coached as a 21 year old, didn't know what I was doing. We beat a number two team in the state that was undefeated, gave them their only loss for the year, just throughout a matchup zone. We had got the doors beat off of us the night before and uh, threw in a matchup zone that morning and, and, and got a great home victory. That one jumps out, even though on the big scale, it probably is no one even knows the, the teams. Um, while I was at Iowa state, I can, one big, one that jumps out to me is uh, at Iowa State, we were playing Michigan at home. And um, Johnny Orr um, was Fred Hoiberg's coach. And he was kind of the grandfather of Iowa State basketball. And he was at the game and it was a big, it was a big game. And it was my scout and, uh, and we beat Michigan at home. And that was like a, that was like a national televised, like big, big game. So that was a, that was a, that was a big game. Anytime I coached at Hilton was a big deal because my dad and I would, we had two season tickets and we were up in the upper deck and I would always look at where my seats were. So I don't want to discount any of the games that I coached at Iowa state, but that was huge. Just thinking back up to when I was, you know, third grade looking down at the bench from so far away and now getting to be on the bench. So, but that game in particular was cool. We had two back to back, we had back to back big 12 uh, conference championships those were cool I mean I got two rings from that um and then the Bulls I mean there's been countless games my very first game in the NBA we were playing Cleveland with LeBron and Barack Obama was sitting in the stands and uh so that was and I was at, even as a video coordinator I was like in that behind the bench spot so I was out there and I was in the game and it was just you know that was that was pretty cool on a lot of levels and we won the game so um that will always stick out 
um, my first G League win will always stick out. It was it was just cool because it was inaugural game. I mean, that's that was the first game in the in the Windy City Bulls history. And our owner, our big owner, was there, and the front office was there, and it was cool. And so that one's going to stick out. But those those are probably the games that really really stick out. But the things that probably like the best part of like coaching is the day that of you know Spencer Dinwiddie got his three-year deal with Brooklyn <laughs> and you get to talk to him one-on-one and you get to see him even though it was awful for my team and awful for Mike <laughs> but just to get that that's what it was about though was him moving on Archie Diakno getting his three-year nine million dollar deal like and just playing a small part in that and seeing him you know get some life-changing money and establish himself as an NBA player like Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn was a player that I didn't work with. Um, uh, his first two years with the Bulls, I worked with him last year and it started last season. He had a rough year the year before and to go from where he was last summer to how he was playing before he had his knee deal. I mean, he was just, a, he was such a menace defensively and back to who he was as a player and just playing with so much confidence and just seeing how the uh, locker room and the, and the team was embracing him. Like those are the, those are the biggest things more than the, more than the games for myself, just, you know, guys really propelling their careers. Those are, those are my, my, my favorite things. I love that because when I, whenever I ask that question, I always try to see if the answer is more about the on the court stuff or the off the court stuff. And the fact that you really took the most out of seeing Spencer Dinwiddie get that three-year deal or what you just said about Chris Dunn, that's the stuff that really sticks out to me because that shows that you're really not just invested into the, into the game, but what the game really stands for and what comes out of the game, which is those relationships and, and, and all of that. Um, especially too, I, I really liked how the first thing you thought of was that high school game, because for me, I mean, I, I'm a high school coach, but I feel like for the rest of my life, I'll always remember those little games that no one else really will think about or no, no one knows the team's names, but that's something that sticks out to them. It goes back to, to what you said, like when you asked like who were important, like, Look, I have tons of people that are very, very important to me and it's gone. But like, I go back to my parents and my high school coach because at the end of the day, there was never like Nate Lenzer with the Bulls, Nate Lenzer at Iowa State or attack, you know, attached to some perceived um, job or profile or logo. You know, I know at their core, <laughs> they loved and cared about me before, before any of it and they and I think that's why they stand out to me is that they've they truly saw me on the beginning of my path so they truly kind of set me in this direction so I you know that's important to me you've coached at your alma mater high school college and your favorite professional team so that's something that most people probably don't even think about when they see yourself when they when they see it but that that's something that I mean which really sticks out to me which is cool uh so just one last question I want to ask before we wrap up. Is there any advice that you have now that you give to a 20-year-old Nate Loinzer? And is that advice different from the advice you give to anyone else? Oh, so to myself, I got it. Um, no, not, nothing different to myself. I really don't. I, uh, I was very, I was, I was blessed at an early age to take things very seriously. And, and even though like, even when I was just starting in the business, even though I did not know obviously what I know now, as far as experience go, I, I gave even those high school players that I was in my first year of coaching with everything that I had. And, um, 
whether the content knowledge was enough, whether, but like there was no, they, they got the best version of me at that particular time. And we can't control, like you can never, as a young coach, you can never control experience. Well, the only way you get experience is to get those experience. So I, as a young coach, that always bothered me. I'm like, you'll know more, you know more. And, and over time it is true. What I know now as a 41 year old, as opposed to a 20 year old is, is, is much different, but I did know enough at that age that it was important to the players that I was working with to give them my all and give them my best and, um, and stand for convictions, stand for the right type of things, stand for the things that I was taught and trying to move that on to, to the people I was working with. And so luckily I, I had that part figured out at an early age. So now when it comes to like who I speak with, with other people, you know, what happens is, is I, I, the biggest thing is like, you know, people will ask you for jobs or things like that. And I don't have jobs. If I had a job, I'd have, if I had a wired, I have one right now, you know, so it doesn't exactly work that way, but the relationships that you make need to be meaningful relationships. And uh, the biggest thing that I always tell people is that like your reputation matters and how you attack each and every day um, is going to open doors for you. I've never been a big goals person. I never had the goal to be an assistant in the NBA. I got there just because I worked hard. I did. I tried to treat people the right way and then doors open for me and opportunities open. Not always when I wanted them or expected them, they just happened that way. But that even happened even when I was playing. I tried to treat other coaches the right way. I tried to treat my coach the right way. I tried to treat referees the right way because I'm a big believer in you're always interviewing. Like when you go into the interview, like that's not, I'll be honest with you, the interviews I've had to get, uh, the end of times I've interviewed, I haven't got jobs. I've had it wired and people knew about me beforehand. So like who you work with is always important. And then like the big thing I try and tell people is like, whatever you think your goal is, like you need to treat the position you're in like you're there. And because that's a, what like people, young people, especially they think that, oh, when I get this job, I'll do this. Or if I was in that position, I would do this. And it has nothing to do with that. It has to deal with if, if Kentucky is your, you know, your crown jewel, well, whatever high school you're at, you need to treat that like it's your Kentucky. And then you start to work from there. Like, you know, I gave each and everything, each and every day, I appreciated every job I had with the Chicago Bulls and I loved it. And, and, uh, and I did not want to see it end. But I also treated Iowa State that way. I treated Southern Miss that way. I treated Spirit Lake that way. And I just think that's important. Um, people get so forward thinking with goals. And I think it's important to do that. But if you don't take care of the job that you're in now, you'll never really be able to advance. And then, because if you're doing the work, your work will speak for itself. Otherwise, you're just saying, oh, I can do that. Well, you didn't do a good job in this job. You want me to give you a higher job? It doesn't work that way. So um, that's the biggest thing that I would, I would tell people. Because I, I, my 20-year-old self, I never would have been able to tell that person you would have gotten a chance to coach at Iowa State and coach at with the Bulls. And I think I might have I I tried to skip steps if I would have known that. And it wouldn't have been maybe the right time or the right end. Everything happened for a reason in my path. I stayed with it and, um, and I'm just looking forward to seeing where, where my path takes me next. I relate to your story so much and, and, and really love everything. The advice you gave was fantastic. 
and and Coach Nate, I really just want to thank you so much for coming on. You, you really taught me so much personally, and our, our listeners will enjoy it so much as well. So thank you. Sounds good. Thank you for the opportunity. I uh, love doing it, and I uh, look forward to watching your career as well. Thanks for listening to the Big Fellas Podcast. Check us out on all major social media platforms at Big Fellas Pod to join the chop up. You can also listen to us on every podcast platform on the planet. Stay tuned for the next episode, Big Fellas.